I had a chance this morning to talk to someone who was just sharing with me about the pain that they're going through in their life. And, uh, and they are going through some deep trials and, and, and challenges. And when I see someone who has given their life to Christ and they're, they're trusting God and they're going through difficult places, I know that God is preparing them for something that he has planned. And we've been in this series called, uh, What on Earth Are You Doing? And it's really about the call that God has placed on our lives and the things that he uses to put together our life. And, and there are things that happen in life and we want to forget about them. They're, they're pain and fear and failure and shame. And, and we'd like to just forget that so we can move on. But we've discovered that those are the things that God uses to create the life, in other words, he, he isn't going to operate off of our greatness and, and coolness and, and you know, uh, all the stuff that we think he's going to use. He's going to use the mess. And I can't think of another person in the world who better represents this than Daniel Tyler. Daniel was with us two years ago and shared his story and, and a little bit about Deliver Hope. Well, since that time, uh, this, this ministry has just taken off. And we're, we, uh, we support Daniel. He's part of our missions program. And, uh, but more than that, uh, he, he's just killing it with young people and changing their lives. They're working with 400 plus kids right now. Uh, Deliver Hope has now moved from one place to several places across the country and it's ever expanding. And when I found out that, that Daniel was going to be around, uh, I said, hey man, why don't you just come and share your story, tell us what's going on and, and give us some encouragement. And I, I really hope that you walk away with more than a great story today. I hope you walk away determined that no matter what happens, God is going to use these situations in your life to make a change in the lives of many others. So would you guys give it up for Daniel Tyler? Well, thank you for uh, having me. I'm really grateful to be here. I will say that um, I'm also grateful for the support of Destiny. I, I, you, most of you probably don't know that, but you guys are supporting uh, the ministry that my wife and I started in uh, in Arkansas. Um, and central Arkansas, we started this ministry to minister to, to at-risk teenagers. And so we work with our juvenile court uh, in the juvenile detention center. And I, and I serve as the chaplain for our juvenile detention center and work with a lot of kids. And as you saw... Um, we, because of the support of people like you, we've, we've been able to, to make a significant impact on the number of young people uh, that are going into our local detention center there in Arkansas and, then, uh, and now expanding into other cities around um, the country. I'm really grateful um, for that. Um, and so thank you for your support. And, but, you know, it's interesting to me. I don't know if you guys were here uh, when I came and shared my story with Greg a couple of years ago. But um, one of the things that I noticed in life and the same thing for uh, what Greg was talking about just a second ago is that there is an immense amount of pain. I mean, all the time, every, everywhere we go, it seems like there is this pain that exists in our lives. And so I wanted to come and encourage you today that you will suffer. Um, all of us are going to suffer. Like at some point you're going to go through pain 
And you're going to go through trials and through financial hardship and marriage issues and cancers and death and family. And everyone knows this, right? Like all cultures, all races, all religions have some paradigm to view suffering with. All of us go through this. And so Christians, as Christians, we're not exempt. Like there is pain in our lives. And so like uh, Greg has been talking about, as you guys have been going through this series, like it's crazy to me that as Christians, as we are, we are God's sons and daughters, adopted, loved, chosen, clean, redeemed, all those things, and yet we're still going to suffer. It's crazy to me when I walk into the jail or we have our staff are with kids that are uh, incarcerated and you hear their stories and you say stuff like, well, it's no wonder you're here. The amount of pain that you've been going through, it, it makes so much sense. We face pain and trials and all of these things happen to us. It's going to happen. But when it does, it seems like every time suffering comes, it just kind of knocks us off balance, doesn't it? I remember I was living in uh, central Wisconsin and I was a youth pastor and I was having a blast. And I grew up in a home where my parents were meth addicts. Uh, and I, got it, I had the opportunity to walk through an opportunity to share the gospel with my mom. And I watched my mom get clean. And I watched my mom go back to school and I watched her get her master's degree. And then I watched her go back to school and I watched her work on her doctorate. And I started seeing my mom's life redeemed because of the gospel. And I was in, I was so grateful. And I was having a blast. I had gotten married and, and, uh, and was living in this, we had just bought our home and we were enjoying life. You know, everything seemed to be, like I could tell that I was an adopted chosen son, right? That's what it felt like. And then all of a sudden I get this phone call that my mom was in the hospital because her boyfriend beat her up. And I remember this question. I thought I was your adopted son. I thought you were, I thought you were taking care of me. I thought we were, this was going to be okay. And I went to the hospital and I look at my mom in that hospital bed. And that night my mom died. And I remember this thought saying, God, you're sovereign over everything in the world. And I'm your chosen adopted son. Why did you let this happen to me? Has that ever happened to you? Like, you ever been in those places in your relationship with God where you're just like, hey, God, where are you? You know, I thought this was, this was going to look a lot different. And this is just an example of everyday suffering. Like, we all go through this stuff. Like everyone goes through hard times and things don't go the way that we plan. And there is an immense and intense pain involved. But there's also something called gospel suffering, which is kind of a crazy thought process. It's, it's this idea that because you are living, because you're advancing and obeying the gospel, suffering still comes into your life. Like the gospel sometimes just attracts suffering. And so you seek to share Christ with your neighbors or your coworkers, and you get excluded and mocked and persecuted, even killed in some circles. And then the strongest even tend to lose heart. Suffering causes us to lose heart. John the Baptist, right, was the greatest saint to, and you know, when he, when he came on to, to the scene, he was kind of like Batman. He was, you know, showing up yelling and eating weird stuff, just kind of a weird guy. But everything he said dripped with conviction and, and passion and assurance that Jesus was the Christ. 
I mean, everything he said, he, thinks, he said things like, I'm not the Christ, right? Don't look at me, look at him. He's the Christ, right? I can't even tie his shoes. I have no place with him. He must increase, I must decrease. He said all these types of things. And so everything that John says and everything that John does says to us that this man knew who Jesus was with all this assurance and all this passion. And then he gets arrested. And when John the Baptist gets arrested, he sent word to Jesus and he asked him, hey, are you the Christ or should we be expecting someone else? Because I didn't sign up for this, right? Like this whole, you must increase, I must decrease thing. I didn't know that meant jail for me, you know? Uh, and, and so it just kind of, even John the Baptist loses heart in the middle of suffering. All of us go through this. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter three. I'm gonna skip ahead. Greg's been in Ephesians one and two, but I wanna skip into Ephesians three. Um, and there's a reason for this. And I always say that if, I like telling, telling people, if you don't have your Bibles, um, you know, when you, when you show up to a gathering, when you're hearing the word and you, and you don't have a Bible, it's kind of like eating spaghetti without a fork. You know, you get a lot on you, but not a lot in you. Anyways, all right. So Ephesians chapter three, uh, verse one, it says this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So check this out. The gospel has landed Paul in prison in light of everything in Ephesians one and two. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy to me because, you know, you can, you could spend weeks going through Ephesians one and two, talking about all the things that God has loved us and called us and chosen us and adopted us and blessed us, that he's broken up all these dividing walls between us, raising us up with Christ, pouring grace on us, giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And yet we still suffer. Paul's writing all those things that Greg's been talking about, that you're an adopted, chosen, all those things while he's in prison suffering. It doesn't make sense. But one of the things that I've learned over the, the um, immense amount of pain in my life is that the gospel actually advances through suffering. Like suffering cannot, let me be the encouragement to you today that suffering, your suffering cannot undo the gospel in your life. In fact, it magnifies the gospel. And so in Ephesians chapter three, it's, it's so fun to me that of what Brody said as he was standing up here, Ephesians chapter three, verse 13 says, and so I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So he's saying, don't, don't get discouraged, man. Don't let your heart sink over Paul's suffering. He was in prison suffering for and for proclaiming the gospel. He, he was in prison because of and for Jesus' sake. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled and discouraged. How do you do that? How do you suffer and not get discouraged? How do you watch your friends endure endless seasons of hurt and pain, whether it's watching someone's body be eaten away by cancer or, or, or financial hardship or death of a loved one? How do you endure long, hardful, uh, uh, painful seasons when the suffering just won't seem to go away? Whether it's, you know, all, all these things, the physical pain, the financial, all those things, whatever it is, it's not going away. How do you not lose heart? In the middle of that. And I think with a room this size, there's a reality that some of you have m maybe lost heart. You barely got here this morning because things just feel like they're so deflated and, and demoralized because of what you're going through. And Paul's word to you today is don't lose heart. Or maybe you're close. Right, like maybe the season that you're in just won't seem to end. 
and it's not, there's, it just feels like there's no good inside and you're hanging on to the gospel by a thread right now. The message to you today is don't lose heart. And I want to give you three reasons uh, from this text this morning in Ephesians 3 to show you why we shouldn't lose heart. I'm not a big three-point sermon guy, but it kind of came out this way as I was working on it. So here, here's the first one. It, the first thing is that we're part of God's plan. That's why we shouldn't lose heart. We're part of God's plan. Like, check this out. You're in. <laughs> it's crazy. Every tribe, tongue, nation who's believed in Christ is now in with God's plan. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Paul called this ministry or his ministry, the stewardship of God's grace. If you look at Ephesians uh, chapter three, verse two, it says this, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so, so God gave this to Paul for those who would hear this message. And he says this in, in verse three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So this is God who revealed this to Paul. He didn't make this stuff up. And then he says in verse four, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, verse five, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. That phrase sons of men means God's people as it has now in Ephesians uh, 3, 5. It says this, as it has now, since Jesus has been in flesh, dwelt among us, uh, it has has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. So so Paul's saying that God gave me this, this ministry and revealed it to me to preach on this mystery. Right? And so the question is, what's the mystery? He says it in verse 6. He says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so here's the thing. Gentiles were non-ethnic Jews. This language here, members and fellow heirs, is Old Testament Israel language. God saved one nation in the Old Testament. He chose Israel to proclaim his glory to all the other nations. They were his, his adopted and chosen nation. But now Paul's saying that God is saving all nations. And this is the mystery of the gospel. Right? Paul's saying, don't lose heart because you've now been brought into God's plan for the world. And listen, anyone can get in on this. One of, one, of my, one of the craziest things is if you're a Christ follower in here, your pain is not in vain. That there is purpose to the pain that's gone through your life, the suffering in, in your life. Paul's saying don't lose heart because you've been brought into God's plan for the world. And so if you're here and you're kind of on the fence with Jesus or kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, anyone can get in on this. Like the most skeptical, the ones with the most doubts, Jesus can overcome all of those things. Let me prove it. In verse 7, Paul says this, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So if you read the book of Acts, Paul is one of the most skeptical critic of Christianity, right? He absolutely despised the church and despised Christianity. He even went so far as to approve of a murder of a Christian named Stephen. He, he tried to lock Christians up in jail. And so if you have doubts about Jesus, I can promise you they don't touch Paul's doubts. He absolutely was opposed to the whole gospel and church idea. But then he saw Jesus and all those doubts began to dissolve. He saw the glory of the risen Christ. And now he, Paul, is laboring to make this message known that anyone can get in on this. That we're in God's plan. Which means that there's no amount of suffering. There's no amount of sorrow, grief, loss, or failure that can undo the plans for you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, take heart. There is nothing that can undo this. And here's why in verse eight, he says this to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that you can't Google the riches of Christ, right? I mean, you can never exhaust the riches of Jesus. 
Verse 9, and to bring to light to everyone what the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So this mystery is that God is bringing us into his plan. But it's happening through a person. Do you realize that no other religion can claim this except for Christianity? Like other religions only offer you a teaching and a, and a path. And some teacher comes along and shows you this way to walk and gives you the truth to live out, tells you that there's life, now go and find it. But Jesus comes and he says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Right? It's not just some teaching or, or idea. It, it's a person. And the gospel offers us a living person, not just this idea out there, but a real human being, God in flesh, who has redeemed us. And this is great news for us. That's why we shouldn't lose heart. Because we have him. We have the unsearchable riches in Christ who is enough for us in all of our pain, in all of our suffering, that he's inexhaustible when it comes to his power, that he's inexhaustible when it comes to his grace and his riches for us, that he's worth suffering for and is better than any comfort this world has to offer. Any riches, any amount of popularity, Jesus is better and more powerful and worth more and speaks a better story and gives a better word than any of these things to us. And so we don't lose heart because God has brought you into his plan, that he's with you, that he knows you and you're part of his plans through the person and the work of Jesus. And this is great news. I think the second thing that we shouldn't, the reason why we shouldn't lose heart is because we're God's people. So we're in his plan and we're his people. God's brought us through this person, making us into a new community. The gospel, this is what's so beautiful to me. If, we don't know each other, but this is how the gospel, this is how great the gospel is, that we're family. If you're in Christ today, then you and me, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That is great news. He's bonded, the gospel has bonded us together, united us together like nothing else this earth has to offer. And, and now our suffering is together. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. It says, so that through the church, the church is, is the gathered people of God who came together and who come together are now the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and we're here on this earth and he's chosen us. And he says in verse 10 that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so Paul's saying that God's justified and redeemed people are now the ones who get to the, display the glories and the wisdom of God to all creation. How great is that? This is an incredible thought if you think about it. Like God is using us to make known his glory and riches and power. And so when it comes to suffering, we no longer suffer alone. You've got the body of Christ around you. Right? To walk with you, to weep with you, to suffer with you. We're like we're, we're here to meet each other's needs. And then he says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that has, real, that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, the church was not plan B for God. And when I say church, I'm not talking about coming into a building. I'm saying the church was not a plan B for God. From eternity, he has always had the church in mind. That's why you can't stop the church. Right? Do you realize this? History for 2,000 plus years has proven that you cannot stop the spread of, of Christianity in this life. It doesn't matter what country, government, hardship, or persecution, whether martyrdom, suffering, sickness, death, plague, or famine, you cannot stop the spread of the gospel in this life. You can't stop it because it was God's plan from eternity. That's what Paul's saying here, which means that together we can endure anything. That It doesn't matter what the suffering is, whether everyday suffering or gospel suffering. We can endure anything together. 
When I was in college, I went to this school in, in uh, Oklahoma and I had bought my first car. I was, came from a really broken home, saved up a bunch of money. Uh, it was a lot of money to me. And I bought a t- 1996 uh, two-door Tahoe. I mean, it was awesome. Loved it. It was green. You know, I even got the Euro lights because it was cool back then. And, um, and I was so excited about this, this vehicle. And I was driving to school uh, one day. I was on the interstate in Oklahoma. And all of a sudden, I had a blowout. You know, first time I had ever experienced that before. So I pull over and uh, park my vehicle, called a friend to come get me so I can go get a new tire. I didn't have a, I didn't have a spare, so I had to go get a new tire and, uh, and bring it in and, and change it. And anyways, on my way there, it took me about two hours to go get the tire, get it all set up, and then come back and change it out. And on my way back, I got back to my Tahoe, and somebody had stripped the entire thing in those two hours. I mean, they left it on blocks. They broke every window. They stole my radio. They, they ripped my dashboard apart. They stole everything out of there. I'm talking ripped the whole thing to shreds. And I almost, I mean, it was one of those like, I'm going to throw up. You know, this is, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, the worst part was I didn't have insurance because I couldn't afford it. And I didn't know what to do. And so I had the last $150 that I had in my pocket and I called the tow truck and they came and got my truck and and they took it back to the campus where I was. And I remember just thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And this lady had found out that this had happened. And she called me and she said, hey, I know you don't know me. I work at the school. But, hey, I've got a garage that we could kind of stick your truck in, at least keep it out of the rain until, until you find out what you're going to do. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do anyways. But we took the Tahoe and we put it in this garage. And I was sick for days had no clue what to do. And about a week later, I got a phone call from that same lady. And she said, hey, I think we found out some information about uh, what happened to your Tahoe. Uh, will you come to this shop? I think they found some of your stuff. And I was like, yes, you know, I'm going to go. I think, you know, they thought somebody was selling it or something. I was thinking, yes, maybe I got some stuff back and put it back together. And I show up at this garage and my entire truck was put back together. All brand new. And I started weeping and I looked at her and I said, who, who did this? And she wouldn't tell me and she didn't tell me who did it or, or what had happened. And, and all she said to me was the body of Christ just does this. This is what the church does. This is normal for us, she said. And I was blown away. It was, that, it was in that moment that I realized that we're, we're in this together, guys. That if you're in Christ, then our suffering is to be leaned into together. Right? That we suffer together, that we weep together like no other place on earth. The gospel cuts through all financial status, all backgrounds. It cuts through our race. It cuts through our class, everything. It unites us together. And so my charge to you today is don't abandon the church. I know it's messy. I've been in this thing for a while. I understand that the church is filled with broken, messy people. The gospel will get you messy. If it's by grace, that means you're going to have some busted up, broken people coming through these doors sometimes. It's going to happen. Christ's bride, the church, it's imperfect, right? Jesus married crazy. He married us, you know. Uh, He poured out, you know, he poured out his life for us. But one day, listen, one day, it won't be imperfect. He will perfect his bride. And and we will stand before him spotless, purified, holy, and completely redeemed. 
Every single tribe, tongue, and nation will gather together and sing one song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. So don't lose heart when you suffer because you have us around you. Stay in this and suffer together. Pour yourself out for each other. Let us shoulder each other's burdens and help carry the load. That's what the church does. So we're in God's plan. We're we're God's people. And the most important is that we have access to his presence. You have access. Check this out. You have access because of what Christ has done for us to the very throne room of God. You get God now through Jesus Christ who has brought you in and qualified you to be in his presence. It says this in verse 12, Ephesians chapter three, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is why we don't lose heart, right? Because you have God now. The greatest gift that God can give you is God, right? The greatest prize is himself. And so when it comes to suffering, you've got two options. You can either suffer towards God or you could suffer away from him. Right? You can either bring everything that's in you that, that's hurting to him and suffer toward him, or you can stiff arm God and lean into the pain and try to power through it yourself. But Paul's saying, listen, you have God. You have the very access to the throne room of the creator of the universe, and Jesus has qualified you. So when it comes to suffering, you have access to God's presence. That God has united us together in a way that nothing else can stop. That he has access to us, that he's jealous for us, that he is for us. And sometimes in in life, it just feels like God's working against us, doesn't it? It feels like he's playing games, but he's not. He's for you, that you can come to him with anything, that you have access with boldness and confidence to run to your heavenly father. C.S. Lewis said that the man who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. You see, with God, you have everything. There is no lack in him. You have all that you need. And so he says in Ephesians chapter three, verse 13. So I ask you to not lose heart. Listen, suffering cannot undo the gospel in this life. Rather, it magnifies the gospel. It puts on display all the glorious truth that Paul is unpacking here. It shows us how near and real God is. And it reminds us that we're his. Suffering advances the gospel. I travel around to speak at schools and uh, with a lot of high school students. The majority of my time is spent with either our staff or high school students. And um, it's always funny. I tell my story, um, you know, growing up in a home of abuse and, and uh, those, those type of things. It was, it was a very painful, painful life growing up. And um, one of the interesting things about that is every now and then a student will raise their hand and ask me, hey, how... Um, if you could go back, what would you do to change, you know, your life? Or like, if you could start over, like, how, what, you know, how, what would you do? And I'm like, man, nothing. I wouldn't take any of it back. Because my pain, God has used all those broken pieces to advance the gospel and for his kingdom. Last night I was speaking at a camp um, about three hours away from here and uh, to some high school, middle school and high school students. And, and as I was talking to them, it was incredible to share pieces of my story and then afterwards to listen to theirs and 
to see the pain that was in their lives. And one, one little girl walks up to me. Her mom had OD'd on, on drugs and, died, and had passed away. And she walks over to me and she says, you know, what, I, can't, you know, I don't know what to do. I've never known anybody who experienced that kind of pain. But now I feel like I've got hope. Like, man, thank you, God, for letting me experience that pain for this little girl. Suffering advances the gospel. You know, people were watching my response when my mom was killed. Went to the hospital and watched my mom lay in that hospital bed. It was the hardest day of my life. And I remember holding my mom's hand and begging her to get up. You know, and thinking, come on, mama. You know, come home with me. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll make sure that you're okay. And I was holding my mom's hand and, and she died. And they arrested the guy who, who had killed her. And, and then his parents bailed him out of jail. Man, that's a tough thing to do when you're in the middle of that. And so I was even more frustrated and even, and, and even more mad at God. I didn't understand why in the world God would allow this thing to happen. And so I'm driving my truck down the road and I am so mad, punching the steering wheel of where, where I was driving, thinking, man, God, where are you? And then I saw him. He was riding his bicycle down this old highway and I wanted to take him out, man. I wanted so bad to take him out. How, you take, how do you take my mom from me? But I, I got my truck to go as fast as I get it to go before I got to him. And, and I wanted to hit him so bad, but I passed him really quickly and just started crying and begging God for strength. And, and I remember, I'll never forget this day. I, haven't, I don't hear from the Lord often. I wish I did sometimes a little bit more. Um, but it was this day was clear as can be. And I heard God say to me, I died on the cross for you and your sins and I did for his too, but he doesn't know it yet. And so I called him and uh, I asked him to meet me at the church where I was a student pastor at the time and he drove his bicycle up to the church and I remember seeing him and I walked outside and the only words that I could get out of my mouth was, I have to forgive you or this is going to kill me. And he said, why would you forgive me? And all of a sudden this boldness came over me. And I was like, that's what I want you to hear, dude, because Jesus died for your sins. He died for you and he loves you and there's, and there's purpose to your life. And I said, you should start coming to church with me, which was crazy because he did. And, uh, and listen, church people don't know how to deal with that. No offense. Uh, church people don't know how to deal with that. So like we sat in the back because I knew it was going to be weird. And he sat here and I sat here and my wife sat here. Nobody sat around us. And I remember listening to the pastor speak. And I remember saying, oh, I hope he hears what the pastor's saying. And the next minute I'm like, I'm going to stab him in the throat with my pen, you know, because... Um, <laughs> What do you do? And he came with me for six weeks. He came to church with me six weeks in a row. His name is Eric. And we were awaiting his trial. And I'll never forget it. He walks up to me on that six week. And he says, I want this Jesus that you're talking about to change me like he has you. 
And so I held those hands that killed my mom. And he'll spend eternity in heaven with her. And I've traveled the country sharing that story over and over and over again. And let me tell you something beautiful. My mom's name has been redeemed. My mom no longer suffers. She doesn't struggle with addiction and pain. Instead, she gathers with everyone else and says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Our suffering is not in vain if you're in Christ today. The bad news is, for those of you who are not, (laughs) this world gets a little harder. But suffering cannot undo the gospel. I've shared this story over and over and over again, and literally thousands of people have come to know Jesus because of my mom's story. How beautiful is that? I don't want my mom back here. Now, I miss her a lot. If I, I've got this little perfume thing sitting on my, on my dresser that, that, she used to, that she used to have. It smells just like her perfume. Every now and then I open it up and smell it. I need cigarettes, though, to mix with it so I can really get a, you know. But, but you know. Um, but listen, people were watching what my response was when my mom died. And if you're in Christ, people are watching the way that you respond in the middle of your suffering. But that's why I love things like, hey, we were afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but not driven to despair. We were persecuted, but not forsaken. That we were struck down and not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And so we endure suffering and we don't lose heart. And here's the reality. Some of you are probably suffering deeply. And I don't know what that pain or that trial is in your life, but you're shaken because the season seems to not be ending or the gospel's costing you something right now. Listen, don't lose heart. The gospel is enough for you. Jesus is enough for you. And there are others of you that are not suffering. But you ought to be. Because God wants to push you into some very risky places. And you're resisting it because of the cost. And you know suffering will come. But listen, don't lose heart. The gospel is big enough to handle all of our suffering. It is worth sacrificing and giving up your life for. And so may we suffer well wherever we are and not lose heart. Jesus, thank you that you would take. I'm just grateful for every trial that you've given me so that I could just get a glimpse of the pain that you've been through for us. And I ask you today that 
you would be with every person in this room, God, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their suffering, God, that you would make yourself known to us so that we could suffer well and not lose heart. We love you, Jesus. And we're going to praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.